0: Hey, how are we doing tonight, guys? Well, welcome back to those of you who were here last night, and welcome for the first time those uh, who are here tonight. Uh, this is your first time being here. Uh, my name is Eric Reed, uh, pastor of church uh, just outside of Nashville, and I'm thrilled to be uh, with you guys uh, tonight. I was here last night, and uh, tonight will be my last night here, but y'all have an incredible Uh, weekend in store for you Uh, what we're talking about this theme of fearless yet fearful implies that there are uh, two types of fears uh, that exist right we're to be fearless which means without fear and we're to be fearful which means with fear so we're to be without fear yet with fear and last night what we said is there are two types of fears talked about in the bible you have forbidden fear and you have commanded fear. There are fears that we are not to have, and there are fears that we are to have, right? There is a fear we are to have. So last night we talked about forbidden fear. God bless you, and um, come on guys, we're at a conference here, a Christian one. Um, all right, so, so, so we talked about forbidden fear, and uh, one of the things that we talked about is that there's all kinds of fears that are forbidden that often grip our hearts. We fear failure. Right, we we fear failing at relationships, failing at school, failing at um, you know uh, athletics, or, or you name it. We don't want to try new things because we're afraid we'll fail. We don't want to step out by faith on something God's calling us to do because we're afraid we'll fail. Some of us fear rejection, right? So there's things we know we need to do, but we need people's approval, or we long for their approval. So so we fear rejection, so we don't walk in obedience, or we don't you know we don't do the things that the Lord wants us to do, that could be uh, towards something or away from something. But the fear of rejection keeps us hostage and a lot of us fear the unknown and I shared a lot of our story about just with our son and all he's been through and the strokes and the seizures and the hospitalizations and uh, he, he's recovering his ability to walk, his motor skills, he still can't talk yet and, uh, and, and how we're uncertain about the future and yet we are, we are fighting not to be gripped by that fear. Fear of what we don't control, fear of what we don't know is to come. And, and so what we talked about last night, are there, there are four um, ways that we fight for freedom. There are four ways that we find freedom. I'm going to hit them real quick in case you missed last night. And if you were here, this would be a recap. Number one, you must be found in Christ. So in, other, in, other, in order to get a grip on the fears that are forbidden, yet we still have, we have to first be in Christ. The most important thing for us to grapple with is our salvation and who we are in him. The second thing we talked about was we must must remember that God's with us. So if we're found in Christ, then we need to remember that we always have God with us. The presence of God is always with us. Which helps us in these moments of fear because we're reminded we're not alone. We're reminded we belong to him. We're reminded we're loved by him. The third thing we said is we, we must trust the sovereignty of God. And we spent some time talking about this, that He holds our future. And, 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 and He doesn't allow anything to come into our lives. It doesn't first pass through the counsel of His will, which means we can trust Him even when we can't understand why He's allowed things. Sovereignly trusting His will, right? It is the Lord. Let Him do what seems good to Him. One of the things that robs or strips our fears from us is we have a confidence that God holds our life in His hands. And so if he chooses to let something enter into it, if he chooses to give or to take away, we can say in both, blessed be the name of the Lord, because he loves us. He's for us. He has our life. And the fourth thing we said was, we must die to this world. One of the things that you can't ever get over your fears if you're gripped by a need to be successful or to be somebody in this world or to cling to this life with everything. See, the promise that we have is this. If we're in Christ, then our death is not the end of the story. Neither are trials or troubles in this world. And I told you one of the things that the Lord's un, you know, kind of undoing my fingers around fear and the grip that I have sometimes fear has on me about my son is that here's what I know because he's in Christ and because I'm in Christ and because my family is in Christ, no matter what happens in this world, that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, listen, then the the sting of death, right, is gone. Death, where is your sting? Because here's what we know. One day, regardless of what happens in this life and regardless of how my son's health progresses or regresses, here's what I know. There's a day coming where Jesus is going to make all things new if you don't have that, you're going to be gripped by fear. Because if you're living for this world, this world will disappoint you. And you have reason to fear because your hope is all tied up into the things of this world. So you must die to this world. You must live as citizens of heaven. So those four things we talked about are ways that we can find freedom from our fears. Tonight, we're going to focus on the fear that God commands of us. Those were the Fears that were forbidden in the Bible to have. Now we're going to talk about the fears we should have. Uh, When my son was in Atlanta for rehabilitation, we were there for three weeks. And uh, the the purpose of his rehab stint was to relearn how to use his body, right? Relearn and gain strength uh, to grab things, to brush his teeth, to stand up, uh, even to walk and to talk. And so we spent three weeks there. And one of the last things we did... in Atlanta is they take you on what they call an outing. So on an outing what they're doing is they're taking you out into the city to do something and you've got to actually use all the skills you've learned and you know that you would do in normal life and you you got to apply those. And so we got to go to the aquarium. Me and my son loaded up on the shuttle and with some of the other kids that are close to discharge and we went to the aquarium. And after we got back from the aquarium, the shuttle parks at the front of the hospital, they're unloading the shuttle, right? They're unloading the wheelchairs and the walkers and, you know, all the different things that these kids need. And two random kids, like a four-year-old and a three-year-old, start running onto the shuttle. They weren't with us. We didn't know who they were. But they start running onto the shuttle. They're jumping on the seats. Um, As they start seeing wheelchairs unload, they start jumping on the wheelchairs and like playing on them. And, And the mom is just sitting there doing nothing. She's on the bench on her phone and she's looking at her kids. She sees what they're doing. And, and, and they just kept going. And so some of the workers and some of the therapists were finally like, Um, you know, you gotta get down, you know. Hey, no, get off there. Hey, stop that. And they didn't listen to anything. And eventually one of them looked at the mom and said, Man, they don't know us. Like, you're gonna have to say something. They're not gonna listen to us, they don't know us. And the mom said, Well, what do you want me to do? They're not gonna listen to me either. My son, who can't talk, but said everything when he said this. He went, he just knew like what right so so, so listen I, I think about that picture and I, and I get that image in my mind and, and then here's what it reminds me of when i look at the world today and I, and I see people in the world today and including ourselves including ourselves um i see us like those children living in rebellion against god living in rebellion against his commands really just kind of doing our own thing just acting wild and crazy without any regard for him or his commands. And not only do we see a world living, listen, not obeying God, but we live in a world where everyone treasures 10,000 lesser things above him. Where we love everything but him. And I'm not talking about like New York City. I'm not talking about in Boston or DC or you know those those big secular cities. I'm talking about like right here. And I'm talking about like right here in our hearts. Those children are a perfect picture of our world. We're just living, doing our own thing, living in opposition to any authority, particularly God's authority. See, here's what we're going to look at tonight, and here's what we need to understand. The beginning of healthy fear of God is knowing who he is, knowing who he is, his character, his attributes, and knowing what his standard is. A healthy fear of God begins with knowing who He is and knowing what His standard is. It's not until we understand who God is and what His standard is and how holy He is and how how radiant and matchless in glory and how the splendor and the beauty, the, the majesty of God, and not until we see that for what it really is, will we actually come to a place where we can fear God as we should. A.W. Tozer famously said, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think of God. That's the most important thing about you. You know why? Because what you think about God is going to shape how you live. And so if we don't think much of God, if we don't really know who he is, and we don't truly understand his standard, his holiness, his power, we'll live not in fear but in opposition and recklessness. See, when you actually survey the Bible, when you look at the Scriptures and you see people fearing the Lord, it's really interesting. It's in those moments when they encounter His holiness and His power. When people come into the presence of the Lord and they get a glimpse of His power, they get a glimpse of His holiness, their natural response, listen to me, their natural response is all fear and wonder. Think about some of these examples. Um, Do you remember when uh, God is speaking uh, to Moses uh, and he calls the children of Israel to the base of the mountain and it says the Lord spoke. And all the people of Israel heard him speak and they were terrified. The mountain shook and they trembled. And you know what they said? They didn't say, oh wow, God's speaking to us. Like that's what we think we want to hear, right? Give us your audible voice, O Lord. And you know what they did? They said, you talk to him for us, Moses. We don't want to hear that again. Don't let him speak again. You talk to him. You go into his presence. We don't want to be near that. Why? They were in fear because they sensed his power, his presence, and his holiness. You look throughout scripture and you see stories like Isaiah in the temple. He looks up and he sees a vision of the Lord high and lifted up. Right, the train of his robe filled the temple. The angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And what did, what did Isaiah say? He was like, man, that's cool. He didn't. Look in your Bible. He did not say that, okay? What did he say? He said, woe is me. I'm condemned. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the land of unclean people. In other words, he recognizes his sin because he sees God's holiness. It didn't produce in him this you know, this fuzzy feeling of, oh man, isn't that cool? I'm seeing God in his holiness and his splendor. It provoked fear. Look at Nebuchadnezzar when he sees the fourth figure in the fire and, and all of a sudden he calls, he's like, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out, come here. Oh, you're God, he's the Lord, right? His whole tune changed. He was like, what God will save you if I throw you into the furnace? And then when he gets a glimpse of the presence of God in the, temple, uh, in the fire, he says, oh, it's your, your God is the Lord. Everything changed when he came into the presence of God. Remember when Jesus calms the storm on the sea. His his disciples are terrified. They were fishermen who knew rough waters. They were used to being on the water when it's rough. They were were professionals. And the the storm was so fierce, it, it terrified them. They woke Jesus up. And Jesus, listen, with a word, with a word, quieted the storm. And the waves stopped. You remember what their response that was? They said, What sort of man is this? Who even the winds and the waves obey. Their response was awe and wonder. You could even say fear. Remember when Jesus cast out the demons when he's in the uh, Decapolis, and these men terrified everybody. No one wanted to walk that direction. They, they lived around the tombs and the graveyards, and Jesus walks right towards them, and they're freaked out. They're like, what have you come to do? Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? And Jesus ends up casting out. They ask, can, can, can you cast the demons? Say, can you cast us into the swine? Can you cast us into the, the herd of pigs? And he says, you know, he says, Go. and and the demons fled out of the men, and the men were liberated and freed. And when the town heard what had happened, you remember their response? They said, you need to leave. They were terrified. They were terrified in the presence of the power of God. On the Mount of Transfiguration... Moses and Elijah show up and Jesus is there with them talking and Peter and Peter's like, hey, we should pitch some tents and stay here. This is awesome. And, And then all of a sudden the voice of the Lord was heard. You remember what he said? He says, this is my son. Do what he says. And it says they fell on their face in fear. You remember what Jesus did? He came over and he said, don't be afraid. Friends, when people in the Bible encountered the living God, their response was fear. And their response was fear because this is not a God to be trifled with. This is a God who is holy, holy, holy. This is a God of power and might and majesty. People who drew near to his presence or encountered him were terrified of what they encountered. See, when people were confronted with the power and holiness of God, fear was their natural response. And so what I want to do tonight is maybe just give us a glimpse of this power, this holiness, this standard that maybe our hearts would have the rightful response to him. If you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. We're right towards the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and I want you to see the things that Jesus says here that should give us a glimpse of God and His standard that should provoke in us fear and awe, wonder. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 20. Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's start there. Jesus looks at the crowds of people who are gathered to listen to him, and his disciples are right there in the midst, and he says, unless your righteousness, unless your holiness, unless your life exceeds that of the righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you and I hear the word scribes and Pharisees, most of the time in the Gospels, it's always negative, isn't it? Because they they were full of you know hypocrisy and um, you know Jesus often had issues with them. But I want you to see something here. Jesus isn't knocking the Pharisees here. He's playing to the people's high esteem of the Pharisees. These were the holy of the holy people. They went out of their way to make sure they were obeying God's law. They went to the nth degree. In fact, they even added commands on top of commands, which Jesus was not a fan of. But but that's how concerned at least they presented themselves to be with holiness, and the people esteem them for their holiness, so what does Jesus say? He looks at everyday people like me and you, and he goes, hey, listen, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of those whom you think is the most holy, you'll never enter the kingdom. This would be the equivalent, think of who are the most holy people you know. Unless, you know, think about your pastor, your youth pastor, right? Matt Papa, whoever, right, whoever you want to list, unless your righteousness exceeds that of Matt's and exceeds that of the pastor's, You'll never enter the kingdom. So what should this immediately force our hearts to grapple with? Am I that holy? Am I that righteous? Jesus says, if you're not, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this immediately puts us unsettled. Our hearts are unsettled. That kind of righteousness in my life? And and then Jesus then goes on to say seven different things. In verses 21 through 47... He goes on to basically lay out to them the law. And then what he does is he takes the law that they weren't already doing. They already weren't able to do it and fulfill it. And watch what he does. He raises the bar. He says seven times something like this. You've heard it said of old that you should not. And he would list a law. And then he would say, but I tell you. And then he would raise the bar. You've heard it said of old that you should not hate, but uh, murder, but I tell you that if you hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of, say it with me, murder. You've heard it said of old that you should not commit adultery, but I tell you that if you have lust in your heart, you're already guilty of adultery. And Jesus basically says, oh, you've heard that the law is this, this is what you thought the standard was, but in reality, in the kingdom, it's actually higher than you ever imagined. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes or Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. You've heard it said of old that you've got to do this, but in reality, you've got to do this. And just in case you didn't feel the weight of that standard and the reality that you fall short of it, in verse 48, he ties it together by saying this. You, therefore, must be what? Say it out loud. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect. In other words, listen, in other words, the standard is not your neighbor. The standard is who? God. You have to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, here's the reason why most of us don't think we're that bad. It's because we know someone worse. The reason you and I don't think we're that sinful is because we know people more sinful. And Jesus flips the conversation. He goes, no, 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 no. The standard is perfection as your heavenly father is perfect you are called to be perfect the word perfect there in the greek what do you think it means it means perfect just what you think it means there's no there's no like disclaimer there's no clause there's no window you can escape hatch and get out of and be like "Oh, oh he meant like less than you know perfect as your heavenly father is perfect Peter said something very similar, right? First Peter, uh, chapter one, I believe it's verse sixteen. He says, "He says you are, be holy, what? As the Lord your God is holy." In other words, the standard is not your neighbor; the standard is God. Here's the problem: most of us measure ourselves against our neighbors instead of against God. The reason we don't have our hearts gripped by this reality that the standard is so high and lifted up and God's holiness is so beyond us is because we don't measure ourselves to God's standard. We actually measure ourselves against one another. You, therefore, be perfect. Now, just in case you think that this is, you know, like, oh, well, you know, but I'm not that bad. Like, I know I sin, and I know I do things, but, like, I don't do, like, the really, really bad stuff. Like, I know people who do way worse things than me. And that's probably true. It's not hard to find. But James chapter 2, verse 10, kind of slams the book on us and says, For whoever keeps the whole law. By the way, how much do you think the whole law is? The whole law. All of it. Right. So watch what he says. Whoever, look, whoever keeps the whole law, but fails at one point. By the way, if any of us could get to that place where it's like, here's the whole law, 613 commands. And you only fail at one. That's a good, that's a good standard, isn't it? That's a good ratio. Like, man, on a test at school, you got an A flying colors. Watch what James says. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable for all of it. What do you think the word all there means? All of it. Friends, take a minute and let this hit you. The standard is perfect. God calls you to be what? Perfect. Holy as the Lord your God is holy. Perfect as the Lord is perfect. If your righteousness doesn't exceed that as the most holy, you'll never enter the kingdom. Perfect. If you meet all the requirements of the law, but you fail at one point, one time, you're accountable for all of it. As if you had sinned and broken every one of them. That's the standard. That's what God holds you accountable for. And whoever doesn't meet it, is condemned in their sins. Condemned. What does condemned look like? Isaiah nine two says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, so that he has turned his face from you and does not hear you. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have caused him to turn from you. He does not hear you. It's not that he can't, it's that he won't because you're not perfect. His standard is holy as he is holy. He doesn't wink at sin, friends. In fact, this is why the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 10, 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know why it's a fearful thing to fall into his hands? Because you're falling into hands whom you have sinned against. You stand condemned. Now, this is the point in the message where your inner lawyer is already making arguments against me. Your, your inner lawyer is raising up within you and saying, yeah, 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 but, but he knows we can't do that. He knows that we can't be perfect. Nobody is what? Perfect. You've heard that too, huh? Nobody's perfect. God knows we're not perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. It's almost as if like Jesus knew we would go that direction. Verse 19, Matthew 5, verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, whoever relaxes with one of them, whoever dismisses them, even the least of these commandments, and then teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It's almost like Jesus knew, um, don't lower the bar. If you try to lessen these commandments, which is what your natural tendency to do is, it's to lessen the standard, it's to lower the standard. If, If you do that and teach others to do it, you're gonna be called least in the kingdom. The standard is, answer it. Perfect. Holy, as the Lord your God is holy. And there's repercussions. If we're not, he's turned his back on us. He does not hear us. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I just want to tell you something. There is no person in the world, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one in this room is getting into heaven by passing the standard of perfection. We all fall short. And before you start saying, "Well, I'm a good person and I try not to do bad things." And you know, I know people worse. And Jesus goes, "If you relax these, if you try to lower this bar, woe to you." Jesus doesn't lower the bar so we can step over it and into the kingdom. The bar remains as high as ever. Do we get that? Does that register in your heart or Have you been playing games with God most of your life because you just think, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, like I can't be perfect, but nobody's perfect, but I try to be good. Matt was just talking about this. Do you think that you're going to attain a righteousness of your own that you can present before God? God's not impressed with us. He's not impressed with us. The debt we owe, we can't chip away at with good behavior for long enough perfect as the lord your god is perfect holy as the lord your god is holy but can i give you some good news tonight listen this is where fear of god begins until you understand what the standard is and the fact that he doesn't compromise it you'll never fear god the way you should you know why people had the response they had in his presence is because when you come into the presence of holiness you understand your sinfulness the problem for us is we, we don't grasp it. He is far more holy than any of us imagine, and we are far more sinful than any of us want to admit. Holy is the Lord your God is holy, perfect. But here's the good news for condemned sinners tonight. Jesus did not come to lower the bar. He came to fulfill it in our place. Watch what he says, verse 17. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus says, I didn't come to get rid of the standard. I came to fulfill it in your place. Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh to to meet the righteous requirements of the law that you and I could not meet but were condemned for not meeting. Jesus came, listen, and he didn't just live a human life so he could get the human experience. He came and he lived in everything he did in obeying the commands of the Lord and worshiping the Lord as God and giving glory to God. Listen, he did so he could credit it to the account of those who would put their faith in him. Jesus lived a righteous and perfect life not just so he could be the spotless lamb without blemish but so that he could attain a righteousness that he could credit into the account of his people. The Bible tells us that when the fullness of time had come, when he finished that work, when he, as he said, every iota, every dot was complete. He marched to a hill called Calvary. And there the one who was righteous and knew no sin was crucified. And the wrath of God poured out upon him. As if he had committed our sin. The Bible says it in many different ways. I want to read this over your heart tonight. I pray the Spirit of God will open your eyes to see this. Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7. It's on the screen. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, those who couldn't meet the righteous requirement, those who were not perfect. Though their heavenly father was perfect. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, you're an heir through God. God sent his son into the world to become a curse. So that he could redeem those under the curse. See, that's what we are if we haven't met the standard. We're under a curse. We're under the righteous wrath of God. That's everyone. That's everyone who hasn't met the standard. That's everyone who's fallen short of even one command. Because now the weight of the law is on your account. But Jesus came to redeem those under the law. Romans chapter 3. Verses 21 through 25, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bore witness to it, even though the law told us it was coming. The prophets told us this was coming. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction for all have uh, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have not met the standard of perfect. For all have not been holy as the Lord your God is holy. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified, made right, account cleared by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's how we receive it. By faith, we are given a gift. The righteousness of God comes rushing into our lives, and our sin is atoned for at the cross. That's the good news, that's the gospel. Whom God put forward, his son, a propitiation by his blood. That means a sacrifice that bore the wrath in the place of one onto the one who was innocent. To be received by what? To be received by? Say it out loud. Who gets to receive this finished work? Is it those who are well behaved, yes or no? No. It's those who trust and believe and receive it by, say it, Faith, You're putting all your eggs in Jesus' basket. You're saying it's your boss, Jesus. If it's not you, I'm condemned. If it's not your righteousness, I have no righteousness. If you don't atone for my sins, my sins condemn me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this so beautifully. For our sake... He, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin. He made him to be sin. He became sin. Who knew no sin? He was spotless. He was without blemish. He had nothing but righteousness. He obeyed the commands of God. He glorified God with his life. He made him to be sin, our sin. The one who knew no sin. Why did he do this? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. In him, we become the righteousness of God. All this was done, as the verse begins with, for our sake. Can I give you some good news tonight that should provoke in us fear and awe and wonder? The God of the universe who is holy, holy, holy looks upon us and we are nothing but sin. Rebellious creatures like those children running around, waving our fingers at him, treasuring 10,000 lesser things above him. The standard is perfectness, perfection, and we've missed it. Holy is the Lord your God is holy, and we sinned. His face turned away, his his ears plugged to our cries. A fearful thing to fall into His hands in that condition, because it condemns you to hell forever. Forever. But the good news of the Gospel is this. God sent His Son into the world, came and lived a perfect life of righteousness, obedience and holiness, and then went to the cross as the lamb slain for sinners, blood shed on the altar for our atonement so that when we approach him, listen to me by faith you are bus, Jesus, all in on you, nothing else, when we come by faith, here's the great exchange, you ready our sin unto the Savior his righteousness unto us our sin on the Savior. His righteousness unto us. Our account of sin cleared. Our account of righteousness filled. And from that day until the day you come face to face with the living God. You will always be considered perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. Come on somebody. Is that some good news to in here tonight? <laughs> That's the gospel. That's the gospel and any other gospel is not the gospel at all the gospel of do good and try harder will not save you it condemns you fighting to strive as Matt was talking about striving to to obey and honor God in order that you might be made righteous and made clean doesn't exist we strive not to attain salvation we strive because we've received it Pursuing holiness is the fruit of our salvation. It's not the root of our salvation. Faith alone in Christ alone redeems sinners alone. So I'm I'm gonna have you bow your heads tonight. I, I want to speak to your heart right now. Oh, that we would fear the living God, the one who is holy, holy, holy. The one whose ways are unsearchable, who's high and lifted up, who is far above us, whose thoughts are not our thoughts, whose ways are not our ways, whose standard is perfection. That God, the one who does not wink at sin, he sees right through every facade you have in here tonight. He sees right through it. He knows if you have cast yourself upon the mercies of his son, or whether you are still striving to attain a righteousness of your own, he knows, he sees your heart. And my prayer all day, and I believe it has happened, is that the Spirit of God has opened your eyes tonight to behold Christ, the Savior. The spotless lamb who lived for your righteousness and died for your sin and rose on the third day to demonstrate that if you will put all your faith in him, he has the power to save now and forever, to redeem you now and to the end of the age. He is your God, he is your Savior, he is your Lord. Some of you tonight, you need to cross that line of faith and call out upon him. You need to cast aside your filthy rags of of attempting to make yourself right with him. You need to come to grips tonight with the fact that you're not perfect and your efforts to earn the love of God is futile. If that's you tonight, if that's you tonight, right now where you are, I want you to cry out, Jesus, I need you. I trust you. I have no righteousness. I have nothing to commend myself to you. I have only what you've done for me. Your death for my sins to cleanse me and your righteousness that, that clothes me, covers me, robes me. Jesus, if I don't have you, I'm condemned. So I trust you. I put my faith in you tonight. Friends, would you look up for a moment? Listen, some of you, some of you cried out tonight for faith, for salvation. Because you recognize tonight you've been playing games. You've you've been striving to earn something that you could never earn. And maybe tonight you received it as a gift by grace and free. If that's you tonight, I'm not going to beg you. I'm just gonna ask you with boldness and confidence, would you let us encourage you and celebrate with you? If that was you tonight, stand up right where you are. We're not gonna make you do anything special, you're not gonna give a speech, but if that was you, in the presence of God and his church, would you stand so we can celebrate with you? Go ahead and do it. Don't be ashamed.
1: We've had a lot uh, to think about tonight as we think about God's holiness and the light of our sinfulness and how good He is to us. And just you know, I just want to again echo what what Eric said. If you're here tonight, and I'm so thankful for those who who've stood up saying yes. Like I, I see it. Like Matt mentioned earlier, I see the treasure that Jesus is the priceless treasure that that He is the one who is perfect in my imperfection. He is the sinless one when I'm sinless. He is the holy one who, who laid down his life for me once and for all. And for those of you who said, yeah, I see that tonight. I'm placing my faith in that. We we want to not only celebrate that with you in this place, we want to walk with you through that. And so just like Eric said, if that's you, whether you stood or didn't stand, I just want to encourage you uh, to not to not keep that private, not keep that to yourself and a few minutes we'll be heading to our community group venues. You're going to be with leaders who love you, who are around you, who care about you. And I just encourage you just to share with them. Sh- share what's happened in this place. And then for those of us who, who are Jesus followers, I, I hope even tonight you've been reminded of what Christ has done for you. That, that the gospel has become real in a way it hasn't before. And so we just, we're excited that we get to celebrate that together, that we get to be a part of this together. And another way that, that you can do this, and you'll hear a little bit more about this over the course of tonight and tomorrow through your community groups. But just one real practical way that you can walk out of, of this room tonight kind of processing uh, what, what we've heard is the in, in your notebook that you got either last night or today when you came in, there's, there's a page right before the notes page and within that page it has uh, a place for you to write down some of the fears, some of the things that have a hold on your heart that Matt even just challenged us earlier tonight just to bring to mind that you can write those down uh, and to write down what God might be calling you to, to write down how God meets us in our fears, in our imperfections. And so I just want to encourage you as we kind of process when we go from this place, take time to even think about this. Lord, what, what is it that has a grip on my life? What causes me to long for the approval of others over the approval of you? And, and help me to find my identity, my hope in you alone. just want to pray for us, and then we're going to kind of continue uh, tonight. Lord, we love you. And we just thank you. We thank you for the things that we've heard. We thank you for what's been taught tonight. We thank you for your word. But most importantly, we just we thank you for Jesus sending your son to be our sacrifice, to be the payment for our sins and in our place. And we celebrate even tonight just your work in this room. Yeah, the way that you've raised the dead to life even tonight in this place and where we just pray that you would help us to cultivate hearts that fear you above all else that desire you above all else uh, that that crave your approval and acceptance which isn't found in what we do but isn't found in what christ has done in our place and and that that would become not just a, a part of a weekend conference it would become a part of Who we are in our lives. And so we thank you for what you're doing. We praise you for what you're doing. And we ask that you'd continue to do that even over the next few minutes as we're together. We love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Hey, you can be seated for just a minute. I invite Eric to come join me on stage. Um, Man, can we just say thank you to Eric for leading us tonight? And uh, it's, it's, it's bittersweet that, you know, this, like you said, this last time we're going to be with us. Because we could just say thank you again, you guys, for just his investment in us. So it's a big topic tonight, it's, it's, it's weighty. Um, it's a lot to take in and think about. When you think about and you're talking about the fear of God and his holiness and in light of our sinfulness. Um, when you think about your own life, what have been some of the challenges for you of living that out? Because we we all feel that. And and how do you personally try to keep the holiness of God and offer Him just just in your life every day?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm just reminded of how undeserving I am of you know anything that God gives. Everything. Um, that we have as a gift. I mean, I'm, I want you to consider how gracious God is to the pagan who hates him. Wakes up every day, has air to consume, food to eat, family that loves him or he or she loves. And In other words, God is so benevolent to rebels. And so I'm reminded that everything I have is a gift. Everything that I have is a gift. And uh, I'm reminded of how undeserving I am, how much I take for granted His goodness, and um, really how He owes me nothing. And so one of the ways, even in opportunities like this, is I don't feel uh, that I have any right to be here. I'm not owed being here. Uh, God doesn't even need me to be here. So what that demands of me is to be humbled that God would would put me in this place to represent Him, to speak his truth and his his love and to, um, you know, not to make much of me. Um, I'm terrified, you know, the story of in Acts, where Herod um, Herod the king is making much of himself and you remember um, the people start chanting, the voice of a God and not of a man, the voice of a God and not of a man. You remember what happened? The Lord struck Herod dead because he did not give glory to God and received it for himself. Um, that terrifies me. And um, the God who did that is a God who's holy, holy, holy. And um, so a lot of times, I, you know, I just remember, you know, you think about the times in Scripture uh, where, um, remember when they studied the ark? Remember when David and some of his friends recovered the Ark of the Covenant that had been uh, stolen? And you remember as they're coming back, they're dancing, they're celebrating. It's a parade. It's a celebration parade, right? Think about you know, think about the the warriors parading down you know the street, you know, having their victory parade, or um, you because know, 'cause it'll be them again this year. And um, it, right, yeah, true. And and so imagine that. And then imagine the middle of that, which is what this was. Um, the 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 oxen stumbles. And the Ark of the Covenant is about to fall. And you remember Uzzah touched it, and he was struck dead. Now, why did he touch it? It seemed innocent enough. He was trying to steady it. And R.C. Sproul famously says the problem that Uzzah had is that he thought his hands were cleaner than the dirt. God is so holy. God is so holy, and we are so not. And so when you see instances like this where God's wrath falls on people, don't look at that as... um, some outlandish anger from God. Listen, what you're seeing is what every sin deserves every time. And when he doesn't give it, he's giving us mercy. So I'm just, I'm just really aware of how I'm owed nothing from God at all. So this is something to, to steward my life and my faith and my family. Every part of my life, not just speaking, but being a good dad is a stewardship. Yeah. I try to remember that as imperfectly as I can even do that.
1: That's helpful. Why do, you, why do you think the approval of man has such a grip on us? Um, even as oh, I all struggle with that? <laughs> even as, you know, I went down to the kneel room earlier today and was walking through. And, and one of the rooms, if you've not been through yet, it's a place where there's there's a cross. And you can write up some of the things, some of the fears that are just in your life. And kind of giving those or at least stating them out to God. And that was a common one. Some form of that. Just rejection. Uh, of what people say about me, of how I look, you know, of, of failure in light of other people. So, why do you think that one has such a hold on us?
0: Because we're not satisfied enough with what God says about us. We want other people to affirm us. Um, we don't, even as Christians, root our identities in being a child of God the way we should. So what we look to give satisfaction to our hearts and to affirm us is what other people say about us. And um, so what's happening in those moments, and this is, I'm I'm preaching to me, so you just get to eavesdrop for a minute. But um, when I find my heart yearning for the approval of others, which by the way, that's still the root idol I struggle the most with, right? So, you know, what will y'all think about me in my sermon, you know? Will you like it? Will you think I'm funny? Will you think I did good? Um, I have battled that because, because um, I want you to like me. And and what that can do if it grips my heart is it can actually keep me from saying to you what I need to say to you, or or better yet, what God wants me to say to you. And so rather than obeying God, I'm, I'm really busy having you like me. right? And so um, I, I think what I have to be reminded of is that, um, When I find myself yearning for approval, I'm guilty of looking horizontally for my identity instead of looking vertically. And, and that is still the issue I have to fight in many ways. Uh, it just looks different than when it looked when I was younger.
1: It changes. You know, as you're talking about that, it makes me think like John the Baptist. And until Jesus came on the scene, he had a Pretty popular ministry, you know, people coming, preaching, preaching repentance. And Even when Jesus came, John started sending his own disciples saying, you know, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And from when Jesus came on the scene, and even John said it, he said, I must decrease, I must become less, so that he must become more. But that's not natural for us. But even in that, he said, in this my joy is complete. The, you know, the bridegroom is here. Like, why would I not be excited for other people who follow him so follow me?
0: Well, you know, Lecrae says in one of his albums uh, years ago, he says, if you live by their acceptance, what? You'll die by their rejection.
1: So if you live for their
0: acceptance, you'll die by their rejection. And that's really the, that's what it boils down to. If we're living for everyone else's approval, then it'll undo us when we don't get it. And, um, boy, I, I wish I was preaching from a, a perch, you know, as someone who's so you know, not affected by that, but my heart is affected by that just as much, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a root idol because we don't find ourselves satisfied enough with what God says about us. It doesn't feel tangible enough to our life.
1: So shifting question a little bit, because I, I want to ask questions that I think probably applies to everybody in the room in some sort of form and fashion. Either they've walked through it or are walking through it or one day will. How do you create a fear an awe for a God that allows you to go through pain and suffering. So, I mean, some of you guys, you're in it. You've walked through the divorce of your parents, cancer, sickness, heartbreak. For others, it's coming. So, how do you fear and have an awe for the God that allows that into our lives? And you've been very open, even say, you guys have been walking down some difficult trials and road with with Caleb. So, for those who Are there, or will be heading that way, and maybe just wrestle with that tension of how how do I honor and fear this God that's allowing this hurt into my life? What what would you say? Not, not a big question. Softball question
0: (laughs) here. It's hard. Um, I'm I'm like all of you. in that I want I want my life to be easy. I want my son to be healthy. I want my family to be fed. I want, we like, we love comfort. We're magnets to comfort. We just are, and, um, and we idolize comfort. And so God is often gracious enough because he loves us too much um, to leave us unchanged, to pull us out of comfort. And sometimes that means Suffering. A lot of times that means suffering. If you read the Bible, we should never get the impression that God's people are exempt from suffering. And and so I think it's understanding that it's not that God has forsaken me in this, but that God is forming me in this. Remember Job's wife's like, curse God and die. Like, why do you keep loving God? Look at what's happened to our family. And he's like, do I love God only when he gives, right? Do I love, is my love contingent upon gifts or do I love the giver? And um, the Lord says, the Lord, uh, Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but in both, blessed be the name of the Lord. So um, one of the things that's helped is, um, is having a big picture understanding that my life on this earth is really incredibly short. Remember what Paul says in, um, Romans 8, 18, he says, For I consider these present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. These present sufferings are not diminished. He doesn't say they don't hurt. Guys, they hurt, don't they? It, it stinks to be in the middle of the furnace. He says, but I don't consider these present sufferings worth comparing. In other words, if you want to compare this life and its sufferings, it's not worth comparing to the weight of glory that's to come. In other words, it's light and momentary compared to the weight of eternity. Uh, John Piper uh, said once, he said, um, your, your first second in heaven will make 80 years of pain seem as nothing. It'll be that glorious. That's the weight of glory. That's the weight of glory. So, so listen, we suffer in this life. We, we we do. And if you somehow have this illusion that you're exempt from it because you're a Christian, um, you're, you're claiming promises the Bible doesn't give you. And um, in fact, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. That's the promise. Yeah. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. In other words, I'm enough for you in your trouble. Their their issue becomes, do we believe that, right? I mean, that's really the issue. Like, we can all sit in this seat and we go, yeah, I believe that. But then when crap hits the fan, where's your heart go? Where's your heart go? Does it go to despair? Does it go to despair? Or do you have this confident hope? Because this life is not the end of the story.
1: So good. Um, You know, it makes me think about, and you're in Matthew, the, the... Sermon on the Mount, you know, and Jesus wraps it up by talking about the house built on the two foundations. That's it. You know, one's built on the sand, one's built uh, on on the firm ground, but the storm hits both houses. Both get it. It it doesn't, being a Jesus follower doesn't make you exempt from the storm. It's just about what's the foundation of your life built on.
0: We want the story to read like this. We want the story to be like, and the one that built its house on the rock, the winds and the waves went right around it. That's the way we want the story to read, and it's like, but that poor house on the sand got whipped, you know, and then, and and it doesn't say that Jesus is like, no, both are going to get wrecked, but one's going to stand because it's on foundation. Both are going to get get tossed and turned by the winds and the waves, but one's going to stand. Doesn't mean it's not going to take a beating, but it'll stand. You know, so the question becomes: Is what's your life standing on? You know, are you on rock or sand? That's the, that's the point of Jesus's message, and and what's he talking about? He says those who build their life on my word that's who is on the rock
1: yeah and going back to the approval of man you know if your life is built on the approval of other people like you said you die from their rejection it gets destroyed because every single person lets you down so one last one last question before we head to community groups this is just for your last time with us uh, this year uh, right. Lord willing. Lord willing, um, and the creek don't rise. Yeah, and the creek don't rise. Um,
0: <laughs> Y'all say that in East Tennessee, right? That thing? Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm from Nashville. We're country too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, if you had one, if you could say one thing to everybody here, so most of them high school, middle school students thinking about their life right now, one more charge, encouragement, challenge you could give them, uh, what would it be?
0: I would have never been in a room when I was your age in this place. That's not what I was living for. And so the fact that you're here is a a gift from God. Whether you're seeking and taking advantage of that or not is another story, but you're here. That's a gift of grace. And and so here would be my encouragement to you. Um, I wish it wouldn't have taken until I was 21 years old to really walk in communion and relationship with God there is more joy, there's more thrill, there's more life found walking in his presence than there is in any other thing you could throw yourself into. Some of you, you, you you've got sports and music and your friends and the circles you run in as elevated above every other thing because you think, it's what Matt was talking about, because in your mind, you actually think those things will satisfy you and they won't. I'm telling you, they won't. The only thing that satisfies ultimately is is communion with the living God. That's what you were made for. That's what you were made for. You exist for that and until you discover that, you're always gonna be thirsting and yet filling your mouth with sand. And so when Jesus invites you to abide in him, he doesn't mean just believe in him. He wants you to walk with him. And and so listen, um, you're not too young. You're not too young. David was the runt of the family, and yet was the one who chased after God the hardest. The disciples were teenagers. Don't let no one look down upon you for your youth. Run after him. I promise you there's nothing more satisfying. I promise you there's nothing more satisfying than that. And I wish I would have known that at your age, and I wish I would have done that at your age. So. Run hard after Jesus because I promise you, listen, when you think you've plumbed the depths, you come to realize Christ is deeper still. That's right. When you get to the top of that mountain, you look, and there's a whole other series of ranges ahead of you. You can never reach the climax of how rich and joyful that relationship is. And you hear me talk about that. Some of you, that sounds so foreign to you, but I promise you it's real. You yeah, can testify, it's, right. it's real. It's real. So quit living for lesser things. It, I don't mean don't play sports anymore, and all you do is just look at your Bible all day at school. Friends are like, "Hey, what are you doing?" You're like, "Reading my Bible, Center." Right?
1: <laughs> don't, not, don't do that. Yeah, yeah don't, don't yeah. do that. Don't do that. Yeah. You're don't gonna make sweet. You're that. gonna make an
0: impact, but it's not the one you want. <laughs> um, right? Don't be so heavenly minded; you're no earthly good. But don't be so earthly minded; you're no heavenly good either. That's right. So. You know, hey, play sports to the glory of God and do music to the glory of God and love your friends to the glory of God, but make sure that you're running after the glory of God. There's nothing better. promise you, there's nothing better. Yeah.
1: Thanks, brother. Hey, can we say thank you one last time? Would you mind... I'd like to have uh, Pastor Eric just to pray over us before we go. Uh, and when he says amen, just stay in your seat. I'll give you direction on where you need to go from here. But we'd love for you just to close this, brother.
0: Yeah, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. So, Lord, we've heard from you tonight. And we're trusting that your spirit has awakened our hearts to the things you wanted us to hear. And for the reason that you have brought us here tonight. So may it not be like seed that hits the soil that's got rock underneath it or the weeds and the thorns of life choke out. And Lord, we want this seed to fall on fertile soil so it can produce fruit in our lives. And so, Lord, you know the condition of each person's heart. You know their life. You know their story. You know their fears. You know what they're dealing with. And so I pray that you would take the things we're singing and we're preaching and the things that they'll talk about tonight and implant deep within them this reality of your love for them, this truth of the gospel that you gave yourself for them. And I pray that they would then receive it and lay down their life to pursue you. Oh, would you do it for your glory and for their joy, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.